Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In late January, our policy team here at the Alliance for the Great Lakes released their top five Great Lakes policy priorities for the new Congress and the Biden administration. Our policy team focused on stopping invasive species, fixing our failing water infrastructure, stopping plastic pollution, preventing harmful algal blooms, and ensuring funding for Great Lakes restoration. It's a big list. Over the coming weeks, our policy experts will be meeting with lawmakers to urge them to take action on these critical issues. Today, we're joined by Don Jodry, the Alliance's Federal Government Relations Director, and he's back again to talk us through this list of priorities and give us a big picture view of what's happening on Great Lakes issues in Washington, D.C. Hi, Don. Welcome back to Lakes Chat. Thanks for joining us again. Hi, Jen. It's great to be with you today. So to just get right into it, uh, we have two new issues making an appearance on our list of priorities this year, agriculture and plastic pollution. And, you know, they certainly aren't new issues for the Great Lakes. We've talked about them a lot on this podcast. But why are they making the list of our federal policy agenda for the first time this year? Well, you're right. Jen, they're not new issues for the Great Lakes, um, but the reason that we've added them this year and we want to have a special emphasis on them is 2023 is going to be a year for the Farm Bill, and a, the Farm Bill is going to provide us an opportunity to deal with some of the nutrient um, uh, pollution issues in the Great Lakes. And then with respect to plastics, we've had a long-standing adopted beach program that has collected plastics on the shore uh, shores of the Great Lakes for years, and you know, in terms of um, our view, the plastic pollution is just one of these issues that just doesn't go away. And we really think it's time to highlight this for lawmakers, particularly as in recent years, the health effects of plastics pollution have become more well known. So we really feel that we should have a, a, a firm position on this and just start working with lawmakers to lay the groundwork for some kind of federal plastic pollution legislation. And so let's talk a little bit about agriculture and the Farm Bill. And for those who aren't familiar with this idea of the Farm Bill, it's one of those mega pieces of legislation that comes up every couple of years. Um, and so give us an overview of how the Farm Bill impacts the Great Lakes and what we want to see in it. Well, the Farm Bill, as you mentioned, is a every five-year piece of legislation. It provides all sorts of incentives and programs for, that benefit farmers and the agriculture industry. And in the Great Lakes, you know, in Michigan, agriculture is the second uh, largest industry statewide. Um, also in the Great Lakes Basin, we produce 15% of the country's dairy, um, and we produce uh, crops and livestock. So the Farm Bill is incredibly important for the economy of the Great Lakes region. But this comes at a little bit at a cost because, of course, um, it's issues with agriculture that have affected sort of the water quality in the lakes basin. Um, we've seen a decrease in fish and wildlife habitat. Um, we have toxic algal blooms, which really represent the introduction of nutrients into our watersheds from farming. So the Farm Bill also has conservation programs that help farmers adopt practices that benefit um, the reduction of nutrient runoff and things like that from the farms. And we want to see some improvements to those programs made so that we can deal with nutrient pollution more effectively. You know, and I think that's that last point is really an important one. You know, the, the Farm Bill includes all kinds of stuff in it. 
Um, and But one of the things that we're specifically looking for, and I know a lot of our friends throughout the environmental community are, is this idea of um, like accountability for some of those big farm conservation programs. And when we first started talking about this internally, I was like, well, isn't there already accountability? <laughs> what? Tell us what we mean by that and kind of a little bit more about what we're looking for for those conservation programs. Yeah, there are three main things we're looking for from the Farm Bill. You know, we want to be able to measure water quality improvements on farms. Um, it's not enough to just have farmers enroll acres in sort of conservation programs, take them out of agricultural production or things like that. You know, we want to see measurable improvements in sort of water quality uh uh, the quality of the water running off of our farms. We also want to limit um, concentrated animal feeding operations, which are a big producer of waste and nutrient pollution in our streams and lakes and rivers. And then we'd like to see conservation program, conservation program funding uh, increased. So there's sort of some very specific things we want to see in the Farm Bill, but the main thing is accountability. You know, if we're going to give out dollars for conservation, we want it tied to improvements in water quality. We want to see outcomes, not just, you know, more people doing it. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, shifting over to plastic pollution, you know, over the years we've, and you talked a little bit about this at the top, you know, we've seen Congress and federal agencies deal a little bit with this issue. You know, for instance, a when was that? Back in 2015, 2016, there was federal legislation to ban plastic microbeads and personal care products, right? That was a huge outcry that there were these plastic bits and, um, you know, body washes and uh, toothpaste and things. And so those are now banned. You know, I know the Park Service in particular has um, done some work to limit the reuse of single-use plastics at their facilities. But we're looking for something a little more comprehensive, a lot more comprehensive than that. Explain more what we would like to see on the federal level for uh, you know, legislation to limit plastic pollution. Yeah, we are looking for sort of a more comprehensive solution to plastics pollution. Um, you mentioned the the couple of things that are happening. You know, one thing that happened at the federal level was banning microbeads and personal care products. That was a big win for us and for our partners because those microbeads were in the water and they were in the water that we were drinking. So people realized the health effects of microbeads. Um, and then the National Park Service is making an effort to ban single-use water bottles in all national parks. It's not going to happen soon enough, but they're making the attempt to try to limit um, plastic waste. But we really think that we need a more comprehensive approach. Different states are doing different things. Some states have bans on local governments dealing with plastics pollution. Um, some states, like California, have recently enacted sort of what's called extended producer responsibility, where they make the producer of the plastics responsible for its um, eventual, uh, you know, uh, um, I'm, I'm stopping. Like disposal. The, disposal, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and the thing is, is that there's just no one, no one approach now in the country. And yet plastic waste continues to predominate. It, uh, it affects our water bodies, our wetlands, um, our habitat. And, you know, it's just never ending. And it's these plastics break down in the environment. They do get into the water supply. They, you know, and recent research is showing that it's showing up in sort of human tissue and, and human blood and things like that. So plastics are just not good for us. And there's a myth that plastics are recycled, but nationwide, only about 8% of our plastics are actually recycled. And a lot of it is sent overseas and disposed of maybe through burning or through everything. So it's just, it's not really a good thing. 
and we need a sustainable solution to the plastics problem. It seems like plastics are just um, created by industry to sort of provide, uh, you know, materials that may or may not be needed or could be, sub, you know, other things could be substituted for them. So what we'd like to see the federal government do is adopt an approach where we make the producers responsible for the disposal of the plastics. And that internalizes the cost of the waste on those producing the waste um, versus having having it be an individual responsibility or the responsibility of local governments or state governments or whatever it is. Um, plastics just are a, a problem and we'd like to see a more holistic approach to their control. Yeah, that's great. Now, I know that water infrastructure is back on the list this year, um, and we have a bunch of specific requests for Congress and for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. What do we want to see on that front? Yeah, so water infrastructure is back on the list because even though with the very large investment from the bipartisan infrastructure law of a couple of years ago, um, we really just aren't at a level where we think we need to be in terms of replacing the nation's aging water infrastructure. The Great Lakes has a large backlog of drinking water um, as well as uh, water treatment systems that are in need of repair. We still have a very large backlog of lead service lines that need to be replaced. And while there was a large infusion of federal funding through the bipartisan infrastructure law, for both the replacement of lead service lines as well as upgrading um, water infrastructure, we know we need more. So we need to keep highlighting this because it's something that we need to sort of try to get to a sustainable level of funding. You know, the bipartisan infrastructure law authorized additional funding for both the clean water and um, safe water drinking uh, state revolving funds, which are funds that are given to states. And the Congress isn't fully appropriating the authorized level. So we see an opportunity here to try to get that funding up to a level that's going to be helpful to states and local governments. So that's why it's still on the list. And it'll be on the list until we get to a point where we feel like we're at an adequate level of federal um, in investment and support. Yeah, and so it sounds like there's still a lot of work to be done by Congress on that issue. And I know we're asking, you know, the that, as you mentioned, that the funding from that bipartisan infrastructure law from year and a half ago is still making its way out the door through the EPA. And we have some asks for the EPA, US EPA, around making sure that money gets to the communities we needed to get to, right? Right, right. States are really in charge of allocating those funds, but EPA issues guidance. And so we've asked EPA to prioritize sort of the equitable distribution of the bipartisan infrastructure law money. Um, and the money that's allocated through the state revolving funds. So EPA has a couple of regulatory hooks in with states in terms of reviewing and approving the plans that states make in terms of how they're gonna spend that money. Um, there are specific statutory requirements in, that for EPA to make sure that a certain amount of the money is given out as um, you know, a forgivable loan. It doesn't have to be paid back. So these are to help communities that uh, may not be able to afford some of these investments if they had to match the funding. So we're sort of looking for EPA to be very aggressive and assertive with that with states in terms of trying to make sure that underserved communities are able to benefit from this increased funding, mm -hmm. especially also helping them with sort of technical assistance in terms of preparing and applying for the grants. Um, because some of these places just don't have the staff capacity to do that. So mm -hmm. we're, we're working with EPA on that. And that's something that we want to see them continue to do. 
Yeah. You know, that brings up a really important point that I wanted to just talk about, and that's this issue of environmental equity and environmental justice. And a couple years ago, we listed an environmental listed environmental justice as our top policy priority for the federal government. And it's not listed specifically in our priorities this year. Talk a little bit about that decision to do that this year. Yeah, it's not listed specifically as a standalone policy priority because we really feel that the Biden administration has stepped out on trying to incorporate environmental justice in environmental programs. They have their Justice 40 initiative. Um, they have allocated funding to communities to help them with respect to um, participating in these programs, underserved communities. So we don't feel that we need to really pressure the administration to make it a policy priority because it is. And we've seen Congress respond with funding for grants and things like that and to be very receptive to this concept. But it is incorporated into our programs. It's incorporated into our thoughts about how we deal with water infrastructure. It's incorporated in how we deal with funding for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. It's part of our conversation on agriculture policy. So we really feel that we've incorporated environmental justice at the Alliance in terms of how we advocate for these programs. We very much um, are monitoring how the administration is doing on their Justice 40 initiative, but it doesn't have to be a standalone uh, agenda item. It's really incorporated in all of our policies and our priorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and that's great. really where we want to see the federal government go. I mean, this mm -hmm. is this is fortunately they're going to have four years to really embed this concept. But this is this is hard for the federal government. They haven't had to really do this before. And I think you know, thinking about how federal programs benefit underserved communities and how the federal government relates to them and communicates to them and dialogues with them is just sort of getting into how the federal government does business as a standard mm -hmm. uh, practice. So really, we're looking for them to embed this in each and every program by the government so they think about this when they're carrying out their, their mandates that Congress has given them. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. You know, per, a couple perennial issues that are always on our list um, are invasive species and, and Great Lakes restoration funding. Um, what are a couple highlights from those priorities this year? So the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative funding, you know, we are still trying to get Congress to appropriate the authorized level of funding, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, I think this past year Congress appropriated, I'm going to say $368 million, and the authorized level of funding for next fiscal year is $425 million. This is the amount the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative gets every year to deal with the uh, programs and policies that they have and kind of their planning documents that deal with, um, you know, removal of um, historic legacy pollution, uh, restoration improvements of habitats, invasive species, and scientific research and things like that. So we want to see that program fully funded uh, because we know they have needs beyond the current level of funding. Um, for invasive species, we've got two things that we're looking at this year. We've got the longstanding Brandon Road project that's being uh, built by the Army Corps of Engineers in uh, Brandon Road, Lock and Dam in Joliet, Illinois, to try to prevent the spread of in invasive carp from the Mississippi River Basin into the Great Lakes. The project is still in the planning, engineering, and design phase, um, which and they've also gotten approximately $260 million towards the project's construction, when the, which is estimated at about $850 million. Um, last year, we secured a cost change for the project so that Congress would fund or the federal government would fund 90% of the construction and the state 10%. So that was an improvement uh, over prior years. And um, 
So the two things that really need to happen is we need to see the state of Illinois sign the project partnership agreement this year. And we want to see Congress continue to appropriate construction funding for the project because they're planning to go to the first phase of project construction, you know, next year sometime in 2024. So that remains a priority for us. Um, and we want to see that continue to move forward as, as well as it has to date. The other thing that has to happen on invasive species that we're working hard on is for EPA to adopt regulations to um, regulate the discharge of ballast water from vessels that are traveling in the Great Lakes. Um, and what we'd like to see them do is adopt regulations that would really prevent the spread of harmful invasive aquatic species and pathogens. Right now, a lot of the, a lot of the Great Lakes uh, boat traffic is exempt from current regulations on that. So we wanna see EPA impose regulations that would provide for safer um, ballast water discharges. Um, we're expecting that EPA will issue some clarifying guidance on the draft rule they put out sometime this year. Mm -hmm. um, and they're planning to have a final rule next year. And we've been advocating strongly for improved protections but you know, we haven't seen anything yet and we're not entirely sure we're gonna get uh, what we're asking for, but it's something that we're keeping our eyes on. Yeah, you know, those two issues are always a reminder for me that that policy change takes a long time. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And to just sort of demonstrate, you know, why, why, why do we care about ballast water? Well, you know, two of the big invasive species that entered the Great Lakes came in from ballast water transfers abroad, the zebra mussel and the quagga mussel, which cause you know, utilities and local governments to spend millions of dollars in their water um, delivery systems because these invasive species are, are harmful uh, mm -hmm. and they've, they've spread so much that, they, that they're damaging to sort of, you know, our human way of life here. So it really, it matters. You know, mm -hmm. water matters. A lot of people ignore it, don't pay attention to it, but, but uh, the spread of invasive species uh, can occur this way. And so we want to try to limit the, limit the mm -hmm. spread of those things. Yeah. You know, Stepping back um, from the lakes for a minute, I'm curious to hear from you about the big picture view. Um, you know, you're someone who's worked in Washington, D.C. and on Capitol Hill for, for many years. Um, and, you know, for as someone who's sitting out in the Great Lakes region, Washington feels really far away. Um, but from my view, sitting over here, it looks like things are off to a pretty rocky start. You know, we saw the big drawn out fight over the speaker role in the House of Representatives. And it seems like every pundit I tune into or read is talking about how Washington is more divided than ever, which I feel like we say every year. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I'm curious what your perspective is, um, you know, from a stepping back a little bit, you know, your outlook on this Congress and, you know, our agenda in Washington. These are, as you said, these are really important issues. Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess what I'll just say is that, you know, we're an era, we're in an era of divided government. Um, we have the Republicans majority in the House. It's very slim. We still have a Democratic majority and a Democratic administration. So it's divided government. We're two years out from the next presidential election. Um, and so my, my thought about this is, is one that I think it's going to be a bumpy ride for the next couple of years. And, and I remember when I first came to Washington years ago, I won't say how long ago it was, <laughs> things were very bipartisan. You know, I used to work on appropriations issues. I worked uh, in the executive branch. I did some work on the Hill. Um, and, you know, it was a different time when we had sort of senior statesmen in both parties. Um, and 
people worked together and got things done and it, it seemed to work. And it's been a long time since we've had regular order for the pieces of legislation that Congress has to pass. Um, we get these large bills at the end of the year. Um, but we're already starting the year out kind of, as you mentioned, on a, on a bumpy road. It took a while to elect the speaker. We've had the House address a number of what I call marker bills, things that are, that are important to them as a matter of policy, but really in the, in the big scheme of it, things are not that important uh, necessarily to the country and they're not gonna go anywhere. They're just gonna pass a bill in the House and it's not gonna go anywhere in the Senate. Um, fights over committee memberships, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that. So, uh, and then this week, uh, just on one of our smaller Great Lakes priorities, uh, well, not small, but a priority that we don't talk about a lot, um, in the Senate and the House, we have uh, a joint resolutions that have been introduced to repeal the Biden administration's rule on the waters of the United States, which is a rule that really deals with the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act in terms of which wetlands are protected. Uh, it's something that the Supreme Court is also considering. So the Biden administration, just to recap, issued a, a protective rule this past December that um, that improved protections for wetlands. And you know we've got the House Republicans and the Republicans in the Senate uh, filing a resolution under the Congressional Review Act to repeal that rule. Well, the president will probably veto any joint resolution, and they don't have the votes to pass it. But it's again a marker and an indication of how the Republicans are differing with the administration on something related to policy. But it's not going to advance anything under the Clean Water Act in terms of protecting wetlands. It's not gonna result in a permanent change. It's not gonna get rid of the rule. It's just gonna consume time. And when you start consuming legislative days and time on these sorts of things, which I call distractions, you take away time from dealing with the things that we really think the Congress should be dealing with, which is passing funding bills that address the needs of the country and dealing with sort of policy priorities in terms of the rules the administration needs to issue. So I think it's going to be one of those years where we're responding to uh, these sorts of things. Uh, we've already heard the House Republican leadership talk about their opposition to sort of the level of federal spending. They're opposed to raising the debt ceiling. Um, they may want to reduce federal spending. They might propose some rescissions in the bipartisan infrastructure law. I just think it's going to be a back and forth of these sorts of disagreements. And it's all going to be leading up to, I think, the next presidential election. So I am not hopeful. You know, I'm sorry, I'm talking for a long time. I'm not hopeful that we're going to get uh, any big sweeping pieces of legislation. I'm hopeful that we will be able to get our annual funding bills done, but I'm not sure where we're going to be. We might be dealing in a situation where we have reduced funding going to agencies over the over last year. Um, mm -hmm. All this to say is we're going to promote our Great Lakes agenda. I am hopeful. I know that we have bipartisan support for it, that we're going to get some bipartisan support for this. And I'm hopeful at the end of the day that we will make some progress, but I'm not entirely sure today that we will. So I have a guarded outlook on this, and I also have an outlook that, you know, it's, it's, it's become um, more political in a sense that I don't think that it's a, it's a good use of our time, but this mm. is what politics is in Washington these days, and it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's an important reminder that Congress has, regardless of who's in charge, Congress has important jobs to do, right? They have to fund the federal government, which pays for all kinds of things, everything from the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative to, you know, 
uh, Medicare and all those other things, right. um, you know, and, and uh, I know you'll be there reminding elected officials and their staff on Capitol Hill of our priorities and encouraging them to um, stay focused on the things that that are um, critical for a lot of our Great Lakes states. Um, and, you know, one thing I wanted to sort of end on, which might be a little more hopeful, <laughs> um, is, you know, the power of our supporters. You know, when we released this list of priorities, um, gosh, I think a week or two ago, two weeks ago now, maybe, um, we sent out an action alert to our big email list um, and asked people to send a letter. We make that pretty easy. You can go to greatlakes.org slash take action. Um, and there's an easy way to send a letter to your members of Congress and you can um, edit it and, you know, add in, you know, your special, your own pers personal perspective. You can uh, um, edit that letter as you like. Um, but we had, um, I think like 900 people send letters. Um, and you know, it it sounds to me from our, our prior conversations on this, Don, that 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 can be helpful for um, legislators to hear, especially as you are also going in there and the rest of our alliance team talking to elected officials and their staff. There's sort of this, you know, hearing from all angles is is important. Well, it absolutely is. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, members of Congress do need to hear from their constituents and they do respond to them. Let's just take the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative as an example, um, which is the program we talked about that funds sort of um, things around the Great Lakes. It's been in existence for about a decade. It's very popular with both Republicans and Democrats and communities because it's accomplished some really great things in the last 10 years. The Trump administration proposed to eliminate that program, along with a bunch of other um, what I call these geographic-based environmental restoration type programs around the country. Um, members of Congress and the Great Lakes delegation heard from their constituents and prevented that from happening. So, you know, that program was not eliminated, um, but that was that's an example of the power of uh, supporters, uh, residents in the Great Lakes, contacting their representatives and letting them know how important things are. And so it's true with every single program, whether it's water infrastructure, replacement of lead service lines, um, the farm bill, you know, members of Congress will want to hear from their constituents. So we're hopeful that if folks agree with our priorities, they'll reach out and contact their members of Congress. You know, that's just how it works. And it works that way around the country. Um, and I think that's the purpose of Congress. The purpose of Congress is to represent the people, um, to represent their constituents. And, you know, focusing in on Funding and basic legislating is what their job is all about. So I think this year, especially with the Farm Bill coming up um, and other things, you know, it'll be really important for folks in the Great Lakes to let their representatives know what they think of whatever's going on in Washington. And, you know, we'll try to keep people informed um, of, of when it's important to weigh in. Yeah. And we'll be providing, you know, working with you, Don, and, and the rest of the Alliance team to provide opportunities for our supporters and listeners to chime in throughout the year. So, um, you know, thanks so much, Don, for all you do in Washington. And um, I know you're going to be out there um, talking to folks all the time on Capitol Hill. Um, I have one other item for our listeners um, sort of related to all this. Um, we know that you as listeners always have lots of questions. Um, and so we've created an opportunity for you to ask them. Um, we are hosting a webinar on Wednesday, February 15th at 1 Eastern noon central. And we want to answer your questions. 
So check out our website, greatlakes.org, and we have a way on there where you can submit your questions for our policy experts, including Don. Uh, and uh, you can also sign up for that webinar to listen uh, live or ask your questions live on the 15th. And then we will also turn that into a podcast episode if you can't break away from your day on the 15th. Um, we want to get to as many questions as possible. So take a minute, visit greatlakes.org and send your questions about Great Lakes issues and about our federal policy agenda. And we'll have Don and other folks on our webinar um, to answer those. So um, we want to hear from you. And thank you so much, Don, for taking some time today to chat with us and share all of this um, with our listeners. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as opportunities to sign up for updates, to stay informed about Great Lakes issues, and how to get involved. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is released. A special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. <laughs>